0: to episode 22 of the 412 Double Play Podcast. Today is October 2nd. I am your host, Michael Castriano. Joining me again is my usual co-host, Ed Wassel. Ed, how are you doing today?
1: Uh, not too bad. Weekend went a little fast, but other than that, can't complain.
0: Usually it does. Days getting shorter. Baseball season winding up. Uh, football starting to get into gear. Interesting game. For the Steelers today, where Pickett finally made his debut and was looking pretty good, but um, once again, this is a baseball podcast, so let's keep it here and look at the roster roundup for this past week. On September 26th, Pirates DFA infielder Michael Chavis and outfielder Greg Allen activated Miguel Andujar and selected a contract of catcher Jose Godoy. Chavis and Allen both cleared waivers. They were sent to Indianapolis, um, even though the season had already completed for the Indians. And then October 1st, yesterday, Will Crow was placed on the 15-day injured list with a reported right elbow inflammation. So his season is done. Right-hand pitcher Junior Fernandez was recalled from Indy. He was a waiver claim, I believe, in August off of the Cardinals. And then finally today, catcher Tyler Heineman was reactivated from the concussion injured list. And Zach Collins was placed on the 10-day injured list. I didn't see a reported reason for that, but Collins had been out for the past couple of games, even in situations that could have led to him pinch hitting. I'm, I'm pretty happy. Hopefully everyone's okay. Um, but Crow had been really struggling. He had one good outing last week, but, uh, Collins, man, he's bad. Godoy is bad. It's, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, there's only three games left and hopefully we're going to be a little bit happier with what we have going into next season, but these catcher options are really rough.
1: Yeah, but there's, there's a couple guys waiting,
0: so. Now I know you were upset about Chavis getting cut before Collins.
2: Yes. And I feel like I that.
1: Guess... We'll go mean, ahead. Chavis is more versatile. He's more versatile. He could play first, second,
0: third. Yeah, and I think his his best position for us defensively is first, and that's not to say that he isn't mobile because he is. Because he's not on the team anymore today, and what was it yesterday? They put Diego Castillo at first. He looks lost there. He made yeah, a, an error in yesterday's game and just does not like he still having against a lefty. Okay, if you got to find a. Place for him in the lineup, I understand, but he's just bad defensively. Yeah, but M- Mitchell was good against lefties too. Yeah, Mitchell hit had, had a what do you have two or three hits? Against no, I'm Friday? sorry, not
1: Mitchell. Not, not Mitchell. I meant Chavis.
0: But. Oh, <laughs> I mean yes, but he he had been <laughs> struggling overall, um, and and that was something that um, I, it was obviously a reason for him getting cut. Uh, I can look up his stats to see like how he's poorly progressed over the past couple months, but like I don't know if it it was great for them to cut him right at the end there, but I
2: I think the timing of it is what bothered me the most
0: because he wasn't going to catch on anywhere else. I mean, he's only twenty seven. He's he's proven to be decent at different points in time. He was a first overall pick. Back in 2014, uh, he might still, you know, have opportunities with us he, if he stays with the team. First, a first-round pick, right? First-round pick, yeah. It was like 24th overall. Okay. But um, so he had decent April and May, 286 and 300 in each of those months, had over 800 OPS. And then in June, he dropped to 530, OPS with a 174 batting average. Cause he's getting a little bit more playing time, didn't have Yoshi, didn't have, um, Bogey. And, uh, he just like, it just kept dropping. He had a 161, 221, 242 line in September.
2: What are his splits against, with, with uh, lefties though? Versus lefties, he has 703 OPS. Okay. Batting two forty two seventy 276, 427. It's sadly one of the better
0: slashes on the team. It's on the higher side, although Cruz is starting to climb. But the problem is he—he he was, and I have mentioned this in previous weeks. I think specifically last week's episode, he was getting overexposed, and he's—he needs to be in that kind of platoon role. So if he was kept and was maybe platooning with Anduar over there, because he's played. First base in the minors. I think he had like 20 games there this year. Uh, and doesn't have a lot of defensive mobility. That could potentially be a, a play that the, the Pirates go with if they keep both of those guys. Right. But uh let's check out the weekly recap. So starting a three-game set at home against the Reds and Pirates continued to dominate. Game one put Rowan on the mound, but it was an abbreviated start due to a 38-minute rain delay after four innings of two-run ball. Bullpen managed a strong outing, holding Cincinnati to one run in the last five innings, as the Bucs won 8-3 behind multi-hit games from Jack Key Brian Hayes, and O'Neal Cruz, who had four hits on the game. Game two saw another excellent start from Mitch Keller, who went five innings, allowing one run on five hits, three walks, five strikeouts. Will Crow had a surprisingly good outing of two shutout innings with one hit and two strikeouts. Dwayne Underwood and David Bednar added scoreless innings each as the Pirates won 4-1. to one. And Duhar drove in three runs and both J1 Bay and Cruz had multiple hits in the game. Final match of the series and Bryce Wilson threw by far his best game that we've seen. Eight innings, three hits, one walk, and six strikeouts on 90 pitches. Chase DeYoung came in for the ninth and immediately gave up three runs leading to extra innings where Kevin Newman provided a walk-off hit as the Pirates won four to three, completing the sweep. Heading out to St. Louis and Oviado had Oviedo back on the mound with a six-inning, two-run outing, but the offense couldn't muster much as they lost two to one. Then yesterday had Ortiz, uh, Luis Ortiz towing the rubber, but he faced his first adversity. He lasted just two-thirds of an inning surrendering six runs off three hits, three walks, as the team lost 13-3. to Junior Fernandez made his Pirates debut, provided a scoreless inning of relief, despite walking three batters. And then with Wainwright making possibly his final regular season start today, and his history against the Pirates was hard to feel good going into today. Rolanzi was pulled after three innings, in which he allowed four runs, two earned, with two walks and no strikeouts. But the Buckos managed to get all over Wainwright, hanging six runs on him over 4.2 innings, with Gamble providing a three-run homer. Reynolds, a solo shot of his own, as the Pirates salvaged the series, at home with a 7-5 win. Ed, did you get to watch any of the games this past week? And if so, what were your thoughts?
1: I didn't get to watch any of them because, well, you know my situation as far as be, them being considered a local team, so... Yeah.
0: <sighs> So me not a will stream on MLB TV?
1: Can't stream on, on MLB TV, and the site I was streaming on
0: dropped baseball. Oh, that's dumb.
2: Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, right before the playoffs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I will say that uh I, I actually tuned into the game yesterday in the second inning after Ortiz has already pulled. I know you were upset I didn't have Ortiz as my star last week. So I don't know how he was performing yesterday, but uh like as far as making his pitches, walks were an issue with him, clearly, Um and and that was frustrating. I think the Cardinals are a more patient team than the Yankees or the Red—who did he face last Sunday? Oh, it was uh, the Cubs. Yeah, they're a little bit more aggressive at the plate, so— I um, it's good that he managed to get one of those out of the way. I wish it wasn't his last start of the season. Cause then he's kind of going into the off season with that being hanging over his head. Yeah. But, like, we saw some really good stuff from him. Oviedo, he's potentially going to be making another start this week, depending on if they, you know, shuffle the rotation. Uh, really excited for him. Junior Fernandez, I think he became the 67th Pirate to play this year, which is too short of the all-time record. Somehow was only set last year by the 2021 Cubs, with uh, 69. So it'd possibly break that in the coming days if they call up
2: some other guys. But
0: I mean, looking at this past week and saying, oh, we won four of six, that's not bad.
2: That's way no, more than double what I thought
0: we'd get.
1: That's that was what, two good weeks in a row to finish?
0: I don't or think. So. <laughs> something else. I don't, um well let's see, we took one from the Cubs series. No. No, last week we had two games in New York, like the previous week. Two games in New York, we lost both, and then we had a four game set against Chicago and we won one. So no. Oh. <laughs>
1: Maybe I'll sneak into the week prior. But even that, I think, was just like a, a split or something.
0: Yeah. So we've been crushing the Reds. I think we've taken now like seven or eight straight against them. So, I mean, got to be able to be better than the bad teams. Right now, I think we are the have the third worst record. So that will come into play for the seeding in the draft next year, where we'll be looking at, you know, potentially having a very good draft position, uh, regardless of where we finish in the standings. But looking at uh, prospects who come from the draft, let's pivot to down on the farm with the Indianapolis Indians stumbling across the finish line, hosting the Columbus Clippers for a three-game series. It was a very one-sided one as the Indians were swept, outscored 35-5 to in the series. Andy Rodriguez hit his first AAA home run. As Indianapolis finished their season with a 74 and 75 record. So not really much good stuff to talk about there, except for the fact that Andy is just excelling at every level. He didn't play a couple games, uh, in the series. He didn't play until I think Wednesday. Um, but then he went like two for four or one for three with a walk, something like that. So he yeah, saw still... so he was
1: he was pulled during
0: the one game, but no one was able to really figure out why. It may have been like precautionary. If there was like yeah. hamstring or something bothering him, because those games didn't matter. They didn't have a shot at playoffs. they were eliminated two weeks ago, something like that. So, um was hoping that we get to see Andy up for this last week was hoping, you know, Quinn Priester or like some of those guys. I don't think it's gonna happen. Um, no, it doesn't look like it. With only a couple games left, it looks like that's probably just going to be wrapping up on that. So
2: none of the farm teams
0: uh well made playoffs. Bradenton had a, a pretty good season, fell just short of it and um uh, Lots of exciting prospects overall, which leads me into our special for this week, examining positional depth. So when Ben Charrington took over the GM job three years ago, farm system was middle of the pack. Number of positions lacked organizational depth. Since that time, he has made moves to improve the farm system, shore up some positions. Some haven't been improved quite as much, so I wanted to uh examine those specifically breaking it down into six roles catcher corner infield middle infield outfield left-handed pitching and right-handed pitching so ed what positions do you think are uh, strengths for the pirates right now
1: strengths i would say uh catching outfield and probably the uh, middle infield
0: Okay, so for catcher, let's see. So he, Charrington acquired Andy Rodriguez via trade, the Joe Musgrove deal. Henry Davis, 1-1 overall pick in 2021, but we've also got, uh, Blake Sable with Indianapolis. He kind of plays a multitude of ro- roles, but, um, can potentially stick at catcher. Carter Bins, Iran Gutierrez, going a little bit further down in the, um, farm system, Wyatt Hendry, Axial Plaz, he's got a lot of potential. And then 2022 draft pick, Nick Samillo. I don't really know, like that's a little further out. I think Simillo played Bradenton at the very end of the season this year. But um the catching depth, it's a little top heavy with Davis, Rodriguez, and Sable. Flaws has a lot of potential. I was hearing a lot of buzz that he could potentially move as a top 30 prospect next year. Could be shooting up the ranks. He's got a ton of power. I think he hit like five home runs in three games, like a three-game stretch in the, um, was it Dominican Summer League or something like that? So he'll be interesting. I don't know his defensive skills, but um, middle infield. That is another one that I guess is really top-heavy. So we've seen the debuts of O'Neal Cruz, Rodolfo Castro, Juwan Bay. Diova Paguero came up for a little cup earlier this season. We've still got recent top pick, Nick Gonzalez. This year's top pick for us, Tamar Johnson. Um, I think a number of other guys who potentially could be good. Michael Ascato, I'm not as big a fan of him, but there is that potential with him as well. Yeah. Um, Anyone else that I'm missing on that? Uh, I'm trying to think of who you just named. Uh, (laughs) I
1: mean, depending on how it goes, you got Bubba Chandler. Yes, he is technically playing some shortstop.
0: Yeah, Dario Lopez is listed as a shortstop Mm -hmm. slash third baseman. I see him more as a second baseman. I feel like his... He's got a really strong arm, but it's really inaccurate, so I don't know if he will be able to stick there and he's got a power bat. maybe he ends up at first base honestly uh oh Chang some che Chang he's another one who yep. so that yeah, that's a pretty deep position, but okay, so let's look at outfield um primary outfield guys. Because ND is also considered catcher outfielder, second baseman. But um, so we've got Travis Swaggerty. Haven't really seen that transition to the bigs. He didn't get a lot of reps when he was called up. Lonnie White Jr. He hasn't really been able to do too much. Matt Frazier technically still a top prospect, but we struggled something early this year. Then we've got Matt Gorski. He's been shooting up the charts. He could potentially be a, a solid outfield candidate. Kanoan Smith and Jigba. I have. I really think that if he can focus more on hitting, that power can really show up. Because it hasn't yet. He hits a lot of doubles. He's got surprisingly good speed. Uh, and then we've got Shaelin Polanco, lower levels. Hudson Head,
2: eh. Rodolfo Nolasco.
0: I mean, there, there, there's a number of potential outfield guys, uh, outside of that. Jace Bowen, Sergio Campagna, um, who else am I missing here? Sammy Ciani,
2: left-handed hitter. I forgot about Ciani.
0: A little bit lesser known, um, whoa, well, Connor Scott, Lolo Sanchez. Both were in Altoona this year. I don't think there was anyone really in Indy now. So,
2: let me see if there's anyone we picked this year.
0: Oh, Trey Gonzalez. I'm not sure what his ceiling is, but him and Tanner Treadaway, both outfielders with Bradenton at the end of the year. So, um there's a lot of potential on that. I actually don't feel like that's as deep as it could be because I feel like we don't have a, outside of Reynolds, who do we definitely want as a corner outfield next year? Right. For you, it, it, it looks mind. deep in my mind. Yeah. I feel like it's all very like stepped down from the depth we're seeing at catcher and middle infield as far as like the top tier talent. Like who's the top tier yeah. talent I mean, in, for outfield?
1: Outfield's going to look a lot deeper because you have three people playing every day at every level. So you have to have a ton of those guys. But who's uh, the best?
0: Currently? Yeah, like if you were to say, okay, here's our top three outfield prospects. They'd be, like regardless of level, how much they've played, like, who do you think are the top three? Whether it's the guys I've named or someone else. Because I'll give you one. I think Gorski potentially he's going to be Rule 5 eligible this offseason. Maybe he gets a look. He's probably potentially going to get added to the 40-man. He's going to be playing er, Arizona Fall League.
1: Uh, I think Polanco has a lot of promise. He's just so far out. He's
0: super young right now. Yeah. Polanco, ha- he's only 18. I think he's still only 18, right? Yeah, he'll be 19 in February. So he's got a ways to go.
2: Yeah. yeah. Young, uh, super I, I see, high ceiling
1: there. I can see next year uh, Smith and Jigba probably starting. I don't know who the odd man out is at that point.
2: Yeah. I,
0: that's th- okay, so we've obviously got guys on the Team now, potentially they're going to go out and pursue free agents. They they got to make some changes. So they they can't try to keep the team as it is next year. Um, no, you got to put Aaron Judge in right field. Well, obviously we're going to sign Aaron Judge. <laughs> he's going to want to play for Pittsburgh. <laughs> sure. uh There was a he couple of home runs. He comes to Pittsburgh and he wins him
1: a World Series. He's not only going to get a statue; he's going to get his own monument. park
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So the. Between Sawinski, Mitchell, Anduar, if they keep him and and put him into that mix, Smith and Jigba, uh, it's going to be very congested. You're going to want one lefty and one righty, which it's very lefty heavy with Mitchell Sawinski and CSN all being lefties. So I don't know. I don't know where where they're gonna go with that. I think long term. Go ahead.
1: What what's is Gorski a, a righty or a
2: lefty? Uh, he is a righty. Okay. So that could be your third guy. We we're already saying he might get a shot. Yeah,
0: I, I think if we go that route, I think Gorski in right field, Sawinski in left field. And then, I'm not sure, I I was saying today, I don't know where, maybe it was yesterday, I don't know where Cal Mitchell fits in this team long term. Because I don't think he has a position in the field. His his arm is way too flimsy to play outfield, and he doesn't have the mobility to play anywhere in the infield. But his bat plays, I don't know if it plays enough for a DH spot.
2: So, I don't know, that's tough. Like, do I want him in there, sometimes, maybe I, I don't. It's kind yeah, of a tough, I, do, I, do you really
1: want to take up? Do you want to take up a roster spot with him?
0: I don't know. Maybe he becomes trade bait this off season, but I like Gorski and Sawinski as corner outfield. I feel like. I was questioning Sawinski like a week or two ago and whether or not he can put it together and perform outside of PNC. And then he had a pretty good series this weekend against
2: some very good Cardinal pitching. So I'm
0: hoping that he's realizing that he can hit outside of Pittsburgh <laughs> and and starts doing it. Because if you look at his splits, they're just nuts. He's like a 290 hit, hitter at home, and then he's barely 100 away. And it's not like Pittsburgh's a hitter-friendly park. Right? It's just – and it's – he's got, like, 15 of his 18 home runs at home. He's got, uh, like,
2: almost all of his doubles, which it's
0: more of a doubles park. But Um, So looking at the positions that are a little bit weaker, corner infield. Uh, and this is something that I feel like has been a running problem. We don't really have first baseman of the future. Third base is hopefully going to be solidified with Hayes. We've kind of got some options, to Triolo, if needed. I don't, you know, but but first base, you know, Mason Martin. I don't. I don't think he's he's proven this year that he's doesn't have it. Malcolm Nunez, hopefully, made the jump to Indianapolis, posted some pretty good stats this season. Uh, finished with a 263, 366, 467
1: triple slash. That's not bad. No, it's not
0: horrible. 22 home runs and what was that? 403
2: at bats. It's all right. It's not, you'll take it.
0: But I don't know if he can do that in the bigs. And then who else is really there after that? And corner infield and positions are kind of positions that guys fall into if they can't succeed in other spots. Like an, a corner yeah. outfielder with limited mobility, he gets moved there.
2: I mean, you've got Gonzalez. That's... What did he hit? High A? Did he reach double A this year? No. He, I think he stopped at high A. And so let me see. He's potential option. Do uh, you got Flanagan? Just drafted. Oh,
0: um, Brannigan.
2: Brannigan. Yeah.
0: Brannigan's an interesting one there. Yeah, he's got a very strong and accurate arm over at third base, and he's hitting well. That was in Bradenton, so
2: I mean. we'll see if he can keep that going. But yeah, I mean, that right there, we're struggling to come up
1: with names. That shows you the limit we have at those positions. Yeah,
0: so if that's not... Shackleford? I I mean, he's at AAA, (laughs) but he's not... Like, if I were to look up his stats, I'm pretty sure they're not going to be anything impressive. And this isn't a shot against Shackleford, but I, I think he's fine, but I also feel like he's maybe just a depth option. It's not something where you want him to be a starting first baseman for your team unless something's gone really wrong. Yeah. So in 2022, he had a 232, 306 uh, Oh, that's his OPS. 232, 306,
2: 482, triple slash. He did have 26 home runs. Which, you know, pretty great. But...
1: Yeah, but you want more out of your corner infielders than that. Yeah.
2: And I think he's pretty much just first base. Play some outfield. Nope, it just has him listed as first base. So I can check the fielding side. Um... Yeah, I'd say if you look at most, at most
1: teams, first basemen are hitting somewhere around like 35 home
2: runs. For the promising guys, yeah. So I think that we're
0: hoping it, hopefully we go and get a, a decent free agent. But otherwise, I think Malcolm Nunez is the only one for first base right now. Third base, you know, a middle infielder could transition over there. Uh, Branigan could be the answer long term. Hard to say. So, yeah. Pitching wise though, I mean, if we look at right handed pitching, because we've seen Ortiz come up, we've seen, you know, Oviedo, they're both, well, Oviedo's not a prospect, but Ortiz, he's a top 30 prospect still. And then we've got, uh let's see, Bubba Chandler, Michael Burroughs, Thomas Harrington, he's drafted this year, um Priester. Kyle Nicholas and Jared Jones. Oh, I didn't say Priester. Yeah, Quinn Priester. Yeah, Nicholas and Jones are more like, that's the second tier there, along with Carmen Majinski. I feel like they, their ceiling is back of the rotation, more likely succeed in the bullpen. Um, Tanaj Thomas, probably a bullpen arm, but the talented one. Uh, so I, I feel like there's a lot of like high expectation depth there with guys. Uh, yeah, and then left handed pitching, I feel like that was something that was a deficit for us that's really been replenished because we've got, you know, Anthony Salamito. He's got crazy good stuff, even with his funky delivery. Bar- Hunter Barco and Michael Kennedy, both drafted this year. They're both a ways off. Barco just had Tommy John surgery in February or something like that. Kennedy's only 17. But, like, that's three left-handed pitchers in our top 15. Um, I don't know who else we have. Actually, I think we did draft a number of left-handed pitchers this year. Uh Let's see. We also picked Cy Nielsen,
2: the relief pitcher. Uh Julian Bosnick.
0: Oh, Miguel Fulgencio. That's right. I don't know. I think he signed a little bit too late to really pitch anywhere. But Fulgencio is an interesting one. So I think that this was a very targeted draft for getting kind of an even split of left-handed pitchers and right-handed pitchers. So I think that we've got a lot of depth in a lot of different positions. The corner infield, maybe the, the biggest question mark right now. And like I yeah, said, I would say shift the weakest as far as depth goes. I don't want Charrington to go into the 2023 draft and say, hey, you know, first overall first round pick that we go, we could, we got to get like, you know, big bat because you want to drop just the best player on the board and then we'll make moves from there.
1: Yeah. And you don't know what's going to go on with Davis and ND, potentially one of those slide over to first base.
0: Yeah, very possibly. Um, and I think ND has gotten some time at first base, like Sable's gotten time at first base. I feel like Davis maybe profiles best over there, despite his strong arm. He's just not a good defender. You're looking at best players between those guys. You put Andy behind the plate, move Davis to first, and then you just play from there. So
1: yeah, and that can completely change how you
0: perceive what the depth is at that position just by one move. But the thing is, like, and we're seeing this this past week with Chavis being gone. Defense at first base is still really important. Um, you can't just throw. Like Gamble made an error there today. Castillo made an error there yesterday. Like it, that's still the guy getting the ball, you know, third most often on the field after the pitcher and the catcher. So I I hope that at some point in time, they focus on Davis at first base and just say, you know what? We know we drafted you as a catcher. This is just going to be. Well, they drafted him. They drafted him for his bat. Right. The hope was that the defense would stick, but I, right. I think that he's going to have more value for us if if we're looking at Endy being successful. And then he can always catch in a pinch, but I'm hoping that long-term they, they push him over there.
2: It'll also keep him healthier longer. True.
0: So, all right. Well, lots of good talk with the positional depth. I'm excited to see these guys going forward. Let's look at our Stargel Stars of this past week. Offensive Player of the Week. This was kind of a no doubter with O'Neil Cruz. I think he had at least one hit every game he played in, going 10 for 22 with six runs, two RBI, three doubles, with three walks to three strikeouts, sporting up 4.55, 5.20, 5.91 triple slash on the week. He's gotten so much better at the plate, identifying pitches there's been a couple of times where he was called strikes that were just off the strike zone. And he gives that look like he's really recognizing it. He's picking up the off speed stuff. He's laying off fastballs that are up. He's looking so much more of a veteran presence at the plate. That is something that you think come with like years of experience and he's gained it in you know, two months. Awesome yeah, to
1: see. I, th- I think it, his biggest issue was he was struggling really bad with the slider.
0: Yeah, it was a slider.
2: It...
1: Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it, it seems like he's really been working on that. So.
0: Yeah, the slider that was just kind of falling off the plate. um, Like righties, lefties, like specifically left-handed pitchers, he was really struggling against. He's been looking much better against both of those. He's been identifying the movement and the pitch for sliders. He's still getting pretty much no fastballs, but, uh, he went four for five the other day and I think three of them were just like dumped into left field because they're overshifting on him. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to, if you're going to pitch me away and shift the other side, I'm just going to go ahead and dump myself yeah, just a throw the easy single, throw
1: the bat hat out there and hope it stays
0: fair. Yeah. So he, he's really establishing himself as a a big presence in the lineup, at the top of the lineup. So, And then moving on to starting pitcher, Sargell star Bryce Wilson. Eight scoreless innings with only five base runners allowed. Off three hits, one walk, one hit by pitch. It it was just a masterful showing by Wilson. He doesn't blow you away with his stuff. Like low to mid-90s with his fastball. I don't want him as a starter next year, but he's been serviceable as a depth option. Occasionally has outings like this. If he ends up in AAA for us next year and then comes up occasionally, it's not the worst thing in the world. I just think that we have better options overall. I kind of feel yeah, that. He's... Go ahead. I was going to say
1: he'd, he'd be a fine option for someone who can eat up multiple innings out of the pen, give you one of those spot starts if you need it.
0: Yeah, he might end up being like the long relief. Will Crow or Zach Thompson guy for next year, because I'm not so keen on either of them coming back. I don't know how I feel about Wilson overall, but he, he probably is an upgrade over them.
1: Right. And I'm I'm fine with Crowe coming back as long as they limited the innings. They over him
0: so early this year. I just don't know if he's got the stuff. I feel like that might have been an overexposure kind of thing where people were able to see more of his pitches and kind of calibrate. His fastball was looking really flat at the end of the year. I, I don't know. I have to go back and look at footage of how it looked earlier in the season. But it it could have been a running out of steam kind of thing. But it just was very hittable. Yeah. So third Star star of the week goes to bullpen arm Johan Ramirez. He has surprisingly good stuff. He's just not able to locate it very well. A lot of times he gets wild and then throws a meatball that gets smashed. But he put it together this week. Over five innings across four games, he allowed just three hits, no runs, one walk, and struck out two, while nabbing two of the Pirates' four wins on the week. It's a good stretch of games as we're closing out the season, looking to evaluate bullpen arms for next year. Ed, any thoughts on uh, these three guys for Stars this week? I've got no arguments. You said, but bullpen
1: hasn't been good, so it's nice to see someone have a decent week. Yeah,
0: I chase de Young needs uh, that. But I feel like he been nice.
1: It would have been nice to see Wilson try to go for a complete game rather than going to de Young and nearly blowing the game.
0: Yeah, yep. Um, so and Steve texted me, I think. Maybe after the game or in the 10th inning, something like that, and was surprised that Wilson had gone as far as he did. And I was like, you could, he ended up with 90 pitches and, uh, he was starting to labor a little bit in the eighth inning, but it just started raining and I think he wasn't getting as good of a grip on the ball. I think the rain was kind of affecting him. So, yeah, that'll happen. Like if he threw more pitches in the eighth than any of his other previous innings. So, but Shelton's just been, overall, not letting guys go. Like, I think we've got the record for longest streak of games without a pitcher throwing a complete game. And they said it after the game, and I don't remember what it was. But it's, like, since 2019, or – it must be 2019. 2019 was the last time we threw uh, – we had a pitcher
2: go nine. And You're sure it was nine? Yeah. How are you sure? Because they said it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I I can... No, it's I, like an last
0: abbreviated one, complete game or something like that. Right. Like the last one I rate. can remember
1: was, I think, Tyom went like seven innings and it was a complete game because it was rained out.
0: Yeah. So that one doesn't count. Exactly. I don't think. I'm pretty sure it was like Brault. Went nine
2: in September 2019, but I could be wrong.
0: So I'll have to look that up and and I'll tweet it out later. So looking ahead, divisional series down the stretch, final games of the season, three games at home versus St. Louis. They did have the starters announced for each game on both sides previously, but I just checked earlier today. They've got Miles Mikolas versus Mitch Keller tomorrow. Um, no starters announced for, tu- uh, yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for Tuesday's game. Possible that JT Brubaker comes back and then St. Louis doesn't have a starter for Wednesday, but we have Johan Oviedo listed. Uh, Jose Quintana previously announced they may be resting the regulars ahead of the playoffs. So, uh um, kind of a toss apart to really, dis- like, determine um <laughs> how we're gonna be playing these games, but any thoughts on facing the Cardinals, facing Yadier Molina and Albert Pools in Pittsburgh? One last uh, series.
1: You know it's tough because, like you said, they're, they're going to be resting their their top guys. These games don't necessarily matter for them. I mean, you don't want to go in to the playoffs losing the last series or losing
2: three straight. So I don't want to say they're just going to roll over, but I could see Pittsburgh taking two of three. Be interesting.
0: Right now, I think they're maybe a game behind, ahead, you know, away from the Reds as far as the race to the bottom of the division. So if we take two of three, it's very
2: possible that We flip-flop with the Reds in
0: the standings. Let me see what they've got coming up this week. Oh, they just finished a three-game set with the Cubs, and now they're going back in Chicago. And now they're going back to Cincinnati for another three games against the Cubs. surprised they're not winning any of those games. All right, 2-3. I mean, it's very possible. Uh, Even the Keller-Micholas game tomorrow, it could happen. I think it would be more difficult if we're playing like Quintana and if I think Flaherty was previously announced for one of the games. So he would potentially be pitching Wednesday, I think. So uh, two or three, very possible. Would be a nice finish to the season. Hopefully something to build on. Looking forward to 2023, but that wraps it up for us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at 412 Double Play. Follow Ed at Ed underscore Wassel. Continue listening to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts from all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and let's go Bucks! Let's go Bucks!